prosperous soul, the prosperous soul. And we're going to continue that this morning. Asked the question uh, in, a, in a message I preached an, a few months ago, uh, is your soul prospering? Is your soul prospering? And that question comes out of 3 John chapter, uh, 3 John 2. 3 John is one of those funky books that only has one chapter, and so there's like no chapter designation. So it's just 3 John verse 2. All right, and this is what it says. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. You want to prosper in all things in your life? Yeah, anyone? You want to, you want to be in health? Absolutely. I think all of us would say, yes, I want to be in health. And what John is saying here to Gaius, who he's writing this letter to, he says, I pray that you would prosper in all things and you would be in health. But the caveat is this, those things happen as our souls prosper. That God has designed us with a soul that's supposed to prosper, it's supposed to do well. It has the capacity to prosper. And as our soul prospers, it will affect every part of our lives. And so I'd ask that question, is your soul prospering? The problem, though, is that we don't always understand what the soul is. We're familiar with the word, right? I, I, I have a soul, or we talk about soul food or soul music, and we heard that we're, you know, there's even a Kia soul. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're familiar with the word, but it is so often is the case, we don't understand the deeper meaning of the word. And so I can't really answer the question as to whether or not my soul is prospering if I don't know what my soul is. Is. I can kind of take a shot at it, but, but more often than not, it's, it's more of a near miss than a, an actual answer. So it's good to ask the question then, the follow-up question, what is the soul and is it important? And how does the soul affect my life, my soul? And how do I care for my soul if it's supposed to prosper? Uh, I, I'm supposed to care for it. I, I have a vegetable garden in my backyard, and, and for the first time in my life, I've had many failed attempts at having a garden. Um, start off with visions of grandeur and end up with a, me- a weedy mess, right? Now, my wife goes, you start it, and then I have to maintain it. This time, though, it's been great. I'm taking care of these plants. I've got tomatoes growing, and I've got a uh, passion fruit vine going, and zucchini. The zucchini has just exploded. And then last week, it was 118 degrees. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just weeping over my plants because they just got hammered by the heat. Some of them survive, but a whole bunch of them, not so much. We have to care for things in order for them to prosper, to to do well. Our soul is no different. Last week, we talked about the fact that our soul is essentially who we are. It's our being. It's our self. It is our, our life center. By the way, if you missed last Sunday's message, you can you can uh, hear it on the podcast or at our website, thriveglendora.org. It's available there. I always run the risk of re-preaching the last message uh, because I get so excited and I have to, I have to get, uh, kind of guard myself in that. But if you want to hear that message, you can, do, uh, you can hear it there. It's the soul of your, the part of you that connects your inner life and your outer life. We all understand we have an inner life. Our thoughts, our emotions, the things that people don't see, and we have the outer life, everything that people see, the things that we choose to show on the outside. It's our soul that connects those two components, and that's a very uh, watered-down definition. Essentially, your soul is what runs 
your life. It's what directs your steps. It helps to determine what you'll do with your days, with, with your time. It connects your thoughts, your emotions, your intellect, your will, and your body. It, it integrates all of these aspects of who you are into a functional whole. At least that's the desire. That all of these parts of who you are would be, be connected into a functional whole. The author and pastor John Ortberg says it this way, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. It is something like a program that runs a computer. You don't usually notice it until it messes up. Now, I'm always tempted at this point to say I'm a Mac user, so I never run into that, but if you're a PC user, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Amen. It's what runs your life, and usually you're, you're fine until something messes up, and then you're very aware of the fact that something is wrong. That word integrate, by the way, is so key. We talked last week about how we need to be integrated people, that we can't compartmentalize our emotions and our will and our bodies and our spirituality and, and say, well, I'll just kind of focus on this part in this part of my life, but then leave it out in the rest. And in fact, our faith and our spirituality is designed by God to impact every part of who we are, not just some parts. In fact, Scripture talks about the fact that Jesus came to save our souls, he came to save our soul. He came to save our whole person. He didn't come to save just part of us. It's not like our bodies are just the holding vessel that, that doesn't really matter. If, if that were the case, God would not have gotten down in the dirt and formed us out of the dust of the earth and breathed life. If the body wasn't important, we wouldn't have one. But even our bodies are important to God. And so Jesus came to save our whole soul. But we do need to do this. We need to recognize as we try to understand the, the soul more fully is this. Your soul and my soul is needy. You have a needy soul. And that word is kind of double-edged, right? Because we use that word needy and it kind of conjures up a negative connotation, right? We talk about needy people. Oh, he's so needy and she's so needy and kind of default to like this whiny person who just is never satisfied. And, and that's not the kind of needy that we're talking about. See, we're all designed with need. If I were to ask you to hold your breath, right, we go for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. Some of you might be able to go past a minute. But at some point, you're going to recognize your body's need for oxygen. You can't get around it, Right? If I preach too long today, some of you are going to be very, become very aware of the fact that you need to eat, right? Fight that need. No, I'm just kidding. You can ignore some needs and some you just can't. Breathing, water, and food, you can't ignore those. You know that you have to breathe. You know that you need water to live. You know that you need food. You can't ignore that. What you can, though, ignore is the need to eat a healthy diet. Right? You can ignore the need that, that your body's need for broccoli, for instance. Right? I'd rather have french fries than broccoli, but your body doesn't need french fries. Your body needs broccoli. You need healthy food. But you can ignore that even for long periods of time, but it, eventually it will have an effect on your life. 
You cannot ignore the need for your body to rest. You can't just stay awake indefinitely. At some point, you're going to fall asleep because your body needs to rest. You need to be connected to each other. Our bodies, our, our lives rather, have a need for connection. And that we actually don't thrive when we live isolated. That we have an inherent need for connection. Again, you can ignore that. But at a certain point, you, your soul is going to let you know that you need healthy relationships in your life. And there's a whole other slew of things I could talk about. But I think we get the point. The reality is this, if I ignore the needs of my life, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, if I ignore those needs at some point, something's going to get unhealthy and broken. It's just going to happen. It's just a fact. It's going to happen that ignoring these areas leads to unhealth in our life. And the truth is, is that your soul is no different. You have a needy soul. These needs, these soul needs, are so deeply ingrained in us that we could run the risk of just glossing over them, not paying attention, thinking that we're doing okay in some parts of our lives, and then ignoring other parts. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 42, verse 1 through 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you or pants for you my God my soul thirsts for God for the living God where can I go and meet with God you hear the cry God I'm desperate for you in the same way that a thirsty animal will try and find that next drink of water in the desert my soul longs for you in the same way. God, where is it that I can be refreshed in your presence, where I can find you, where you can minister to the very depth of who I am, to the deepest parts of who I am? So I want to speak this morning about the fact that our soul needs to know God and to be known by God. That every one of us needs to know God, but we also need to be known by God. And those, those will be my two points this morning. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Let's talk about knowing God. It's, it's a phrase that we could uh, very easily dismiss as a, oh yeah, I, I got that one down, right? I nailed that one. I, I know God. I know God. I could tell you all about God. I could, I could answer questions. In fact, if you were to enter me into a Bible God trivia game show, I would probably do pretty well because I know lots about God. See, the problem is we placed in our society a high value on knowledge. We placed a huge value on knowledge. Knowing things and being right are extremely important to us. Amen? And if I can possibly know more than you and be more right than you, then somehow I'll have a leg up on you. I'll be able to prove myself more than you or I'm, 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 I'm of some kind of more value or inherent value uh, than you are. And so knowing things and being right are so huge to us, so important to us, but there's a huge danger, an enormous danger that comes with just, just gaining knowledge and approaching God in such a way that says, oh, I, I know God, and I know about 
God. See, the more you know, the more you're seen as successful. The more you know, the more you're seen as, the more that you're esteemed or maybe even famous. The more you know, the more you are perceived as being right. That's the person that has all the right answers. But none of these things guarantee a prosperous soul. See, because knowledge without God leads us to pride. Always. Knowledge without pride, I mean, without God, rather, leads us to pride. Not my words, but the Apostle Paul's words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 2, he says this, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You see the contrast here? By the way, why the food sacrifice, the idols? Paul's addressing something in the church in Corinth that was messing up relationships. It was bringing division in the life of the church. And it essentially came down to the fact that some people were telling other people that they knew more than the others did, and therefore they were right. And you have to do what I say because I know more than you, and I'm right, you're wrong, this is the way it needs to be. And Paul's going, in the midst of that dialogue, you're missing the very point of a relationship with God and the very point of the gospel. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Knowing things is not a bad thing. In fact, the Bible tells us we're supposed to add to our knowledge. Paul, the same writer says that we're supposed to add to our knowledge, that we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of God. But a healthy soul will grow in its knowledge and in love and in every other aspect. An unhealthy soul will just say, hey, I'm just going to focus on the knowledge part of it and everything else is going to be left to the wayside. See, knowledge puffs up. That's the pride part. See, knowledge without God leads to pride. And the prideful heart has no place for God. The prideful the heart has no place for God. See, because pride cannot trust. If I'm prideful, I don't need to trust. If I have all the answers, why do I need God? Why would I need to be in a relationship with God? If I knew so much about God that, that it got, brought me to a place where I was so confident in my faith, I would cease to need Him the way that the deer pants for the water. See, I don't have to trust God if I've got him all figured out. I don't have to trust him if I've got him all figured out. Jesus says this in John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. By the way, this is not just about salvation. This is not just about salvation. And, and, and in, the, in the church today, we put such a huge emphasis on salvation. Not that it's not important. Don't, like, don't leave here today and go, Pastor Barry doesn't think salvation is a big, big deal. No, not at all. The very opposite. But our, our relationship with God and knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ and knowing the Holy Spirit is so much bigger than being saved. 
It's so much bigger. It's, it's a critical first step for sure. So imagine this. If I were to go to Best Buy and buy a 70-inch flat screen TV, 8K ultra high definition, which by the way, I don't even see in 8K. So I'm like, why am I going to get an 8K TV? But now they've got 8K, right? It's, it's even better than reality. And I bring this TV home and I set it in my living room, right? And I'm like, I've got this amazing TV. And I'm telling everyone that I know, I've got, you've got to come check out this TV. And so they come over to my house and sitting over against the wall is this box with this TV. Check out my TV. It's pretty amazing. Here's all of the information about it. Here's all of the specs. I did my research. And before I pulled the trigger on buying this thing, I knew exactly what I was getting. And I could, I could quote all of the stats and all of the, I've read all the reviews and everything. This is the best TV you can buy. And it's sitting right there. If I never take the TV out of the box and hang it on the wall, it has no value. If all I ever do is look at the picture of the hot air balloons, right? Because it's always hot air. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> there must be some kind of contract somewhere. If I, all I ever do is look at the picture of the hot air balloons, I'm not getting the full experience, am I? I need to put that thing up, plug it into a device that's going to send it a picture, and then enjoy that picture, could I suggest to you this morning, a lot of people approach their relationship with Jesus the same way. They buy into something and say, yes, I want to be saved. It's like bringing the TV home, and then it stays in the box. Yeah, I've got that. And I could tell you all about it, all of the pertinent information. I could read you all the verses and tell you why this is important. But if I don't take it out of the box and start living and enjoying and, and being saturated with the fullness of what it means to know Christ, to know God, I'm missing out. By the way, if you were to come to my house and I said, hey, I bought this TV three months ago and it's still sitting in the box, check it out, you'd think there's something drastically wrong with me, right? How much more in our faith that we would say, oh, I have this thing, I possess this thing, that's so incredible, yet we do not fully engage our souls with God by knowing Him. So yes, salvation is critical first step, but it's so much bigger. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Life. Eternal life. Eternity starts now. Eternity, eternity my eternity with God doesn't start when I die. It starts now, and he wants, to me, he wants me to live in eternal life and the fullness of knowing him in that eternal life today, not some distant point down the road when, my, when these eyes close forever and my, my spiritual eyes open in heaven. No, he wants me to live now. And in order to do that, I need to know God. It's good to know about his nature and his character. It's good to know about his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his compassion. It's good to know that he loves you. It's good to know that he cares for you. It's good to know that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. But it's more important to know and experience and feel and live in his goodness. To receive his justice and mercy and compassion. 
to be wrapped up daily in his love, to experience his care in the broken places of our lives, and to walk out his plans for our lives. I don't want to just know about God. I want to experience him in every part of who I am. Psalm 103, 1 through 5 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins, salvation, and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. I want that kind of life. Forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies, and renews. Our souls are designed for that. God is less concerned about just you getting over your sin. That you would just get to a place where you stop making mistakes. Because that means that you're just trying to be right. And that we would experience His forgiveness, His healing, His redemption. I love that. Crowning you with love and compassion. That you are royalty. That you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. I love that satisfies your desires with good things. Come on. The Bible says that about you. That God doesn't want you to just get by. He wants to satisfy your desires with good things. My soul craves that. My my soul longs for that. My soul needs that. And I pray yours does as well. That your youth would be renewed like the eagle. Come on, that's good. Lord, renew my youth. Give me the same kind of vigor and vitality I did as a young person. Have you noticed that the older you get, you could tend to become more and more cynical? We, we filter everything kind of through the cynicism, even the good things. Well, that seems really good. Well, it probably won't last. It's why we buy extended warranties, right? It's probably going to break. At some point, this thing's not going to last. That we would be renewed and be like a young person who just sees everything with just this vitality and this vibrancy and this life. I said last week, and I I will reiterate this every Sunday that we're in the midst of this series and beyond The goal is to be so close to God, to know him so intimately that his voice drowns out every other voice, including your own. That his voice becomes the only voice in every aspect, in every part, in every arena, in every moment of every day of my life. That the voice of God would be the loudest voice the strongest voice, the voice that shouts down the accusations, the voice that shouts down the lies, the voice that shouts down the voice of the enemy, the voice of my past, 
the lies and, and, and the destructive things that have been spoken over me and you, that the voice of God would speak, would shout those things down, that it would overwhelm them. That kind of relationship with God leads to a soul that prospers. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. You usually don't get an amen at that point, right? To participate in his sufferings, sign me up. But there's a depth here that Paul is echoing from his soul, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know God. Even if it brings me to a place where I suffer because Jesus suffered, and if it means that I have to suffer to know him more, I will suffer. Because in the midst of my suffering, I will experience his power. And so, Our rationale and our thinking in this world is make your life as safe as possible. In fact, psychologists and sociologists and all of the ists are discovering that children who are sheltered and protected is actually creating damage. That kids are designed to play. That's skinning a knee. And it's not like, hey, tell your kids to go play in the street. That's irresponsible. But as parents that that we allow, we give our kids room to play and grow and, and maybe even hurt a little bit, to be told no a little bit, to hear you lost, <laughs> right? <laughs> you were wrong. But in the midst of that brokenness, as your dad, as your mom I still love you, and I'm proud of you. But when we grow up in a world that just tells you, hey, you have to insulate yourself, why do I need God to be my comforter if I'm so comfortable? Francis Chan said that. He said the Holy Spirit would be irrelevant to us. Why would we need a comforter if we're so comfortable? God wants to minister to every part. Paul's cry here, God, I want to know you. This word, though, is critical for us. Participation. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to experience every aspect of the life, the power, the suffering, the resurrection of Jesus. I want Jesus to affect my whole life. Every relationship, every decision, every check that I write, every decision that I make, Every breath that I breathe, everywhere I go, everything I watch, everything I listen to, everything I learn, I want God, I want to know Him such a way, in such a way that He would affect all of that to be wrapped up in Him. We used to live in Alaska. Excuse me, I need a little water. We used to live in Alaska, and, and in Anchorage, one of the things that happens in the winter is it gets cold. Very, very cold. Well, Westchester Lagoon, uh, which is just just south of the city, freezes over in the winter. And the city goes out and they take snow plows and they create these huge paths through the snow where you can go ice skating. Uh, and, and there'll be literally hundreds of people out there on the ice in the winter. And so 
we had gone down with a whole group from our church. Um, our kids were still uh, really young. The partic- this particular day that we went down, it was about negative 13 degrees. It's cold. It's cold. And uh, I've shared this picture before, but this is a picture of my daughter, Grace, <laughs> who's actually running the media this morning. I asked her permission, by the way, to show that picture. And she came up to me, and, and she's just cold. And she's dressed for the cold, but at negative 13, doesn't matter. It's just cold. And so she just comes up to me with that precious face, and she just said to me, hold me, Daddy, hold me. <laughs> so as a good father, I pulled out my phone and took a picture. Because <laughs> I knew it would be a good sermon illustration. No, I'm just kidding. And so, of course, what I did is I picked her up and I held her. Your soul, there's a part of your soul, whether you know it or not, that is crying out, hold me, daddy. Hold me, daddy. And for some reason, we feel like that's weakness. That as you get older, that uh, I need to shout that, that voice down and I just need to suck it up that I need to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Can I just tell you, you never get old enough or mature enough or acquire enough knowledge to get to a point where you don't need to do this to God and say, hold me, Daddy. Your soul craves it. And to ignore that need is to ignore the very essence of what it means to walk with Jesus. You need to cry out to him. Hold me, Daddy. At the very core of who we are, knowing this, that God will always pick us up, wrap us in his loving arms, and speak over us, I love you. I love you. So we need to know God. But we also need to be known by God. And this one's a little more tricky. Because if you know enough about God, you'll know this. He knows everything. So how do I need to be known by God? How, do I, how am I known by a God who knows everything? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know everything that's going on in my life? And the answer is, yes, he does. But being known by God is more about your posture than it is about his posture. See, we live in a world where we shy away from people knowing us. We're guarded, careful, and reticent and reluctant to be known. For a number of reasons, primarily it's because our souls are broken. One of the greatest, though, is fear. Fear of rejection, fear of pain, fear of judgment, fear of past experiences. I've, I opened myself up once before, and, and it didn't end well. I trusted someone, and it didn't end well. Fear of keeps us from being our true selves. And can I tell you this morning that that fear of being the real me, being transparent, being vulnerable in front of people is one of the biggest indicators that we have that our soul is damaged and and disintegrated. That there's parts of our lives where we can with our cerebral understanding, say, well, God loves me and he's designed me to be in relationship with other people. 
But my heart, my emotions, my will, my, my past prevents me from actually walking into that. It's one of the reasons why the greeting time in church, for some people, they love it. They're like, yay. And for some people, it's like, please don't talk to me. Right? Now, we don't just remove that from our experience because we know that it's an important part of who we are. And we balance that with we want to be a loving and grace-filled place where slowly but surely we can emerge from that hidden place and start exposing and showing people who we truly are. By the way, being guarded and careful and afraid in, in, in showing who you are, as much as that shows damage to the soul, so is the person who just kind of tells everyone, anywhere, everywhere, exactly what's in their head and mind at any given moment in time, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's the person that you tend to avoid because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be stuck in this conversation for half an hour, and I'm going to hear probably the same things all over again, right? Yeah, there's not a lot of agreement happening right now. It also is indicative of a soul that's damaged. And so our souls, when, when they're not healthy, it'll express it in certain ways. By and large, as a culture, we tend to lean towards the guarded, sheltered, I'm not going to show you, because if you don't know, you can't hurt me, standing. But being known in a safe, grace-filled relationship allows us to find love acceptance, and healing. Because the reality is, is that you cannot grow and you cannot find healing by yourself. That God has designed our souls with a need to be in relationship with God and with each other. And that we become an expression of His love through our lives to other people. And so there's risk inherent with that. There's risk that comes with opening ourselves up. And if we can't do it with the Lord, if we can't reveal to Him the deepest parts of who we are, then we won't do it with other people, will we? We'll never go down that road. And so what we end up doing is managing our sin, managing our pain, trying to just get through and just trying to survive. And that's not the way God designed us. Probably the easiest way to illustrate this is the difference between dating and marriage. That in dating, in a dating relationship, you can just tell, show that person the very best of who you are. Amen? This is everything I am that I'm going to let you see. And we are going to put our best foot forward. And you are going to love who I am, but I'm not going to tell you the whole picture. The problem is, is you fall in love, you get, get engaged, you plan a wedding, you get married, and then, and then you're married, and now you're living with each other, and now you can't hide. Right? You can't hide everything. And I hear over and over and over from married couples, especially young married couples, this isn't the person I thought I married. What happened? Well, you put yourself in an environment where you just can't hide anymore. And the true self starts coming out. By the way, the better thing to do is to be honest from the get-go. Right? No surprises. Or as few as possible. 
Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Oh, we already read that, by the way. I'm going to read the whole thing again because we read verses 1 and 2. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. There's a right knowing and a wrong kind of knowing. But listen to this. But whoever loves God is known by God. Whoever loves God is known by God. What Paul is saying is this. You can either know stuff about God or you can love God. And if you love God, you will be known by God. There will be a mutual relationship. It will be a two-way street. You see, your relationship with God is not designed to be God relating just to you or you relating just to God. But as you are known by God, what it means is you are opening your life to Him and saying, God, come and inspect me and search my heart, as the psalmist says, and and reveal who I am and fix and tinker and, and remove and change and do the things that you need to do. Because in the midst of this loving relationship I have with you, I know I can trust you. And so the person who, who, who loves God is known by God that they avail themselves or open themselves to the deepest parts of who they are. See, we live in a church culture where there's a pressure to know the right things about God. Because at some point, someone may ask me a question and I have to make sure I know the right, the right answer. One of my favorite things as a pastor to do is people will ask me a question and I've learned as I've gotten older to stop making stuff up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Be all like, right, you know, right, more righteous than, I'm forgetting the words, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm okay with saying, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll find out. That's a great question. I don't know. We don't have to have all of the right answers. In fact, during prayer this morning, the statement was made, right? We don't have to be right to know God. In fact, we need to know God to be made right. In fact, that's why we have the word righteousness, He is our righteousness. We are right because of him. We don't know him because we're right. If if our relationship with God was based on our rightness, there would be no relationship with God, which is why Jesus came, why he did the work he did, so that he could pave a way and open a way for us to be in relationship with God. And in the midst of that relationship, as we are known by God, he brings about transformation. And at the very core of, Of that transformation is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We cannot love if we do not receive love from God, and, lo- and God is the only source of love, true love, in the world. We cannot love if we have not received love, and we cannot know God if we don't love Him. And so knowing God and being known by God are so critical to having a prosperous soul. 
We have to know him to know his love. And our appropriate and only response is to love him back. But there's one more step. Now that I know God and I'm known by God and that there's this love relationship, now he says the evidence of this happening is the way that we treat each other. And how I love you is really an indicator of how well my soul is doing. I have one of these in my car, so do you. And put that picture up. Right? Check engine light. And there, when that thing pops on, right, there's kind of this low-key stress. Right? Because it's so vague. Right? Is it like, oh, there's a fluid that's just a little bit low, or is this thing about to blow up? Right? It doesn't, it doesn't tell you, right? And, and, of course, it's designed by mechanics because you have to take it in somewhere and they have to plug in an, an, a scanning tool that then reads the code and tells you exactly what is wrong. Right? And that check engine light, what, it, what it's saying is something's not correct. Something's gone wrong in the systems of this vehicle. And right now is the time to go have it checked out. Don't, don't, keep dri- don't keep driving your car if that light is on. If you don't know why it's on, go have it checked out. A little public service announce- announcement. <laughs> it's important. But we could. We could just ignore it and say, ah, oh, it's no big deal, only to find out that there's no oil in the motor, and then the whole thing seizes up and stops working. And now we're not going anywhere. Love is the check engine light of our souls. Love is the check engine light of our souls. How do you respond to people, whether you're meeting them for the first time or if you've known them for 20 years? When you see someone, anyone, is there just a love that wells up in your heart for that person or do you walk in judgment? Drawing conclusions about their appearance? The car they drive, the way the kids behave. Is there a frustration? Oh, that person just bugs me, right? Or is there love? If the response of your heart and soul towards other people, no matter who they are, is anything except for love, your check engine light is on. It's not actually an indicator that there's something wrong with them. It means that there's something wrong with you. And it's time to come before the Lord and say, God, search my heart and show me what's the fault code. What's going on inside of me that's causing me to respond to this person with anything other than the love that flows from your heart? What is being filtered through my life that's garbage? Right? That's tainted. What in my heart, in my will, in my emotions, in my thinking is causing me to feel this way about this person? Because God, I want to know you and I want to be known by you and I want love to be at the central part of that relationship and and I want that love to then just ooze out of me everywhere I go with every relationship I have, with every encounter and every person. And, And here's the part that I believe breaks God's heart is that even in the context of the body of Christ within the church, there's more judgment and criticism and frustration and arm's length relationship than even 
than what we see in the world sometimes. Why? Because I know more than you do, and therefore I'm right and you're wrong. And there's no place for God in the prideful heart. Church, we have to come before God and say, God, search my soul. Expose what's going on in a healthy way, in a way that will lead me to healing, to rid ourselves of shame and guilt, because that's the byproduct of that kind of relationship. If I'm always judging or being judged, rejecting and not accepting, at the end of the day, the only response or the only product will be shame and guilt. Am I walking in shame and guilt? And God doesn't shame us. God doesn't shame us. He's not built our souls for shame. He's built our souls to be loved by Him, to be received by Him. And when we press ourselves into that place where we know God and we're known by Him, it's at that place that we find the healing and the wholeness and the reconciliation and the restoration that we so desperately, desperately need. And invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward. As we close this morning, I want to ask you, do you know God? Do you truly know God? Not know about Him. Not able to just recount some kind of experience. But do you know God personally? And are you known by God? I'm going to ask that we would bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to buy a TV today. Not really. I want you to take that first step. I'd love for you to meet Jesus for the first time. It's a critical first step, like I said. Salvation in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, is the thing that opens the door to relationship. And maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You would say, I don't know if I know God. I don't know if I have a relationship with Him. But I feel there's something going on inside of me that says, I, I want that. I want what you're talking about. If that's you this morning, we don't want to miss the opportunity to present an invitation to say yes to Him. If that's you today without anyone looking around, would you just simply do this? Would you raise your hand? Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else? Raise a hand. What you're saying, it's not for me, it's for the Lord, and I'm just agreeing with you, is God, I need you. I need you like I need my next breath. Anyone else this morning would say, yes, I need Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you've forgiven my sin, and I repent and turn to follow you. Thank you for this new life and for this new relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So now the big question, is your check engine light on? Is your check engine light on? I can't answer that question for you. That's, that's between you and the Lord. I imagine that through the course of this message, that's become abundantly clear to you. 
Can I just appeal to you this morning? Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Allow God to bring the health and the healing and the wholeness that he so desires for you. And it's just as simple as this, is going to him and saying, God, I need you. Daddy, hold me. Would you speak to me? Would you bring revelation in my heart? Would you show me where I need to grow? Would you show me where I need to change? And you watch as you do that, how your relationships will change, how your outlook will change, that hope will rise in the very depths of who you are as your soul begins to prosper. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning for every check soul light that is on in this room, that there is no problem, no situation, no scenario, nothing that is out of whack, God, that you cannot fix. And not only, Lord, do you possess the ability, you have the desire to make the broken things in our lives whole, to bring healing and restoration. And so, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would rid ourselves of pride, that would say, I don't need God, I've got this all figured out. Father, Daddy, we need you today. Would you meet every person from the youngest to the oldest? And as you do, God, would you cause our souls to prosper? In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team is available.